0: In the early winter of 1998, a group of 30 campers aged between 15 and 19 disappeared at a campsite in Pennsylvania. Several possessions and pieces of equipment were salvaged from the site, including climbing equipment and various items of technology. One of the clues depicting the events leading up to the incident lies in a notebook containing a set of diary entries. Uncovered at the foot of a tree stump, about a hundred meters from the campsite. The entries span approximately over a four-week period, dating from November 26th to December 20th, Thursday, November 26, 1998. So I've got this new diary for my birthday present last week, and since I've nothing better to do than write in it, that's what I'll do, I guess. Diaries are so damn hard to maintain. The first two pages are always as neat as ever, then the rest all goes to shit. At least, I know that's what all my school books are like. Going camping with friends tomorrow. There's nothing on my mind, really, just packing stuff and probably doing some leisure activities to kill time. Friday, November 27th, 1998. Hooray! We've arrived at campsite and it's raining. The weather sucks and cold is horrible. But at least they said it might snow throughout the weekend. Then we can roll down the hills. Despite all the trouble experienced during our arrival, the hills and mountains in this part of America are pretty damn beautiful. We spent the rest of our hours snapping photos of ourselves on the mountains, soaked in rain and our own sweat. Looking forward to tomorrow. The guy organizing the trip says he's got some fun activity planned. But I bet you five bucks... It's just a simple walk. Sunday, November 29th, 1998. I skipped yesterday's entry. Well, it's not like anyone's forcing me to write or anything. I just, well, I kind of feel guilty when I don't. And it turned out the fun activity was an orienteering game of some sort. At the end of the day, I just collapsed onto my sleeping bag and died. Monday, November 30th, 1998. And what did I say about my handwriting? I just looked at yesterday's entry and it looked like it had been written by a hobo. Seems I've given up with the neatness obsession already. Tuesday, December 1st, 1998. I'm trying so hard not to miss a day. Hate leaving a blank space for the date. Still, it would be better to have more than just one sentence in the box. The fourth day in the tent and I'm still alive. But Jack doesn't look like he's having a great time. Vomited twice today, and he hasn't eaten since. He stays in his tent all day. Hopefully he gets better after a few days. We can't send him home in the middle of the expedition. Friday, December 4th. Look at all these days I've missed. I need a shower. Saturday, December 5th. Really quite worried for Jack. He seems to be sick in the head now, just not his stomach. Earlier today, I asked him how he was, and he just responded by saying, I hear shadows. I mean, if you think about it, how can you hear shadows anyway? Yeah, he's really not feeling well. Sunday, December 6. I've gotten to a great habit of writing consistently now. I need to try to keep this up. I told the leader guy to make us some hot tomato soup, and he brought us lemonade for dinner. I guess I'm seriously worked up when I'm angry because somehow, it ended up with me punching him in the nose. Got suspended from all group activities for three days. Looking forward to sitting in my tent with Jack for a few days whilst everyone else is running about in the hills enjoying themselves. Monday, December 7th. I'll be honest with you, Jack's being annoying as fuck. When he's not going on about how ill he is... He's complaining about tiny noises outside the tent. He thinks there's a serial killer or something out there. To be honest, I wish there was. It would make things so much more interesting. I'm having a generally boring and miserable time here. Still got five weeks of this torture left. I wonder how mom and Victoria are doing at home. They're probably watching TV on the couch after having forgotten about my poor ass. Tuesday, December 8th. I swear, I could hear something creep by just now. It's around 9 o'clock. The rest of the groups weren't back yet, so I went to take a look. But nothing was there. I can't help but to wonder, were these the noises that Jack was talking about? It's strange because I don't hear them in the night whilst I'm sleeping. Only in the evening. It's great that it makes it a whole lot less creepy. Alright, I'll admit I heard them yesterday evening too, but I pretended it was nothing. Jack won't respond to me when I'm trying to talk to him, even after I apologize for calling him a dickhead yesterday. I guess he's just really feeling down. Wednesday, December 9th. I heard the noises again today. They were distinct and more pronounced than they were yesterday. I'm planning to report this to the group's captain because I know this just isn't my imagination. Jack heard them too. That's proof. I'm absolutely sure there's something sinister going on behind the wall of tents. And I'm going to find out what the hell it is. Thursday, December 10th. The captain didn't seem convinced. Nevertheless, he put some of the older kids on patrol today. It was a rest day anyway we'd all be staying inside the tents. The noises have gone away. How great, perfect timing. One of the things I miss the most so far on this expedition is probably the TV. Can't wait to get back home and watch all the new programs of the new year. Saturday, December 12th. I'm allowed to join in activities again, but I can't be bothered. I'd rather sit in my tent and talk to Jack about stuff happening at school but I'm being forced to take part as always it snowed this evening much to the delight of the younger members of the group for some reason I'm not in the mood for anything today didn't even touch a single snowflake Sunday December 13th I can hear crunching noises outside the tent kind of creeping me out Tuesday December 15th oh shit I hear screaming of some sort in the distance. I was planning to start writing a long, emotional entry about how tired I am in the morning, but but I'm just going to check. Wednesday, December 16th. Oh my god. Help me, I can't. Remaining length of entry unscripted due to illegibility. Friday, December 18th. Great. I've just discovered I'd brought my diary along with me in my backpack. I'm in hiding, terrified I could die at any minute right now. What a great way to kill time. I thought I saw something in the corner of my eye on Monday. Looking around, I tried to spot what it was whilst packing my backpack. I heard those crunching noises behind me again. Even though it was early in the morning and I'd just regained half of my consciousness, I unzipped the tent and peeped out. There was nothing peculiar in front of me so I dragged myself outside and turned around to face the direction the noises were coming from. First, I couldn't quite make out what the patch of blurry red and pink on the ground was, but then as I zoned back into reality, I realized there was a human. Jack, lying on the floor with his innards flying everywhere. He was shaking violently as blood ran down his neck and down the side of his shirt. At first glance, My mind was so startled by the sudden macabre scene that it refused to comprehend what it saw. Just stood there, I was in utter silence, frozen, total fear. Worst of all, Jack was completely silent, but I could tell he was in immense pain as he seemed to be gargling and choking, flailing about all over the place. Then I noticed that he was trying to move his arms to pull himself away from that thing. My eyes edged away from Jack and turned towards the creature that had seemingly done this to him. It certainly wasn't a pretty sight. To this day, I don't think I've ever been more terrified in my entire life. What I saw in front of me was something of a cross between a human and a spider. That's literally the best I can describe it for now. This thing was about the size of an adult man, its bones stuck out from its skin, which was a raw and pinkish tone. A map of veins could clearly be seen protruding from its flesh, and it was bald with skin stretched tightly over its skeletal face. I could swear its jawbone was twice the size of a normal human's, and when it opened, it looked like a hinge on a lever being rotated. Its eyeballs also stuck out from its face like two giant spheres, but they were placed on either side of the head like a rabbit's. Worst of all were its grotesque, contorted limbs. The first thing I thought of when it crawled was how much it resembled a spider or a giant insect. Sure, it had four limbs. It was standing on all four of them, much like a dog or a cat, but very much unlike a dog or a cat. They stuck out sideways, like an insect's. It crawled extremely fast, and whenever it did, it was terrifying. About two seconds later, I realized my life was in danger. I saw the creature sniff the air as it turned its head unnaturally 180 degrees to greet me with its wide grin, suddenly it began to scuttle towards me at 100 miles an hour writhing and bending in places I never thought possible. I snapped out of my petrified state and ran as fast as my legs would allow, screaming and crying as I thought of my own innards being torn out by the creature's dagger-like teeth as I choked to death on my own blood and pain. I wasn't even bothered to throw my backpack off my back. All I wanted to do was get away. To be completely honest, I didn't run. Because I thought I'd be able to escape from it or anything like that. No, I ran because I was trying to get away from that horrifying face I'd seen. It was one of the only times in my life that I'd ever thought I was truly going to die. Luckily for me, my climbing skills saved my life that time. I knew I wasn't going to outrun it, so I headed for the forest in search of anything that would fuel my survival for at least a few more seconds. Grabbing the branches of a tree, I pulled myself up with all my might as the thing crawled closer and I worked my way up step by step. There were tears and snot everywhere, leaking down my face as I desperately tried to save myself. Sitting on the branches, I shook as I watched the creature intently, trying to crawl its way up. After a few seconds, I was so relieved and utterly delighted that I almost wanted to laugh. (laughs) It couldn't climb. I was safe for now. I watched it snarl and slither back to the camp area. I could feel a sinking feeling in my stomach as I thought about the rest of the campers. With that thing around, they stood little chance of survival. But I wasn't getting off that tree until I was completely sure it was gone. The spider cannibal thing... Returned to the small red patch on the ground and I winced in pain as I watched it tear out Jack's spine and ribcage, leaving a hollow void in his gouged-out chest. It then proceeded to eat the intestines, heart, and lungs, and lap up the blood around the area. After it was done, it began to use a thin, bony finger to scrape out the intercostal muscle and fat between the ribs. Striping the bone clean and savoring the fleshy taste. Obviously, these parts of the body, the muscles between the ribs, were its favorites. Unable to stomach anymore, I turned my head away and convulsed, vomiting all over my pants. I'm feeling better today, glad to say. Getting over the shock, I think I'm able to use my head once more. It's been two days since the first attack. And I can't deny that I've heard screaming coming from the camp direction every now and again. I wonder how many of the rest of us are alive. Actually, it's likely I'm the only survivor out here. Recently, I found I've been crying for no reason. But it's probably because I'm worried about my friends. Either that, or it's the shock. Because I can almost guarantee that they're all dead. I could still see those things everywhere crawling in the corners of my eyes. It's dragging mangled corpses of my companions' bodies into the woods and devouring them like ice cream. I've never seen a man eat another man before. I tried not to look, but every time my eyes accidentally take in a glance, bile rises up in my throat. My hands hurt like hell, and wow, look how much I've written already. Looking back at my older diary entries, the only thing I ask myself is, why couldn't I write like this all the time? Well, I guess I've got nothing better to do than sit up in a tree. I guess people only realize how precious life and time is when they've got a few days left to live. I mean, how many more days will these packs of biscuits in my backpack last me? I'm praying to God that I'll get out alive because I have a family and a home I need to return to. Oh my God, if only I could know how this shitty situation would end. Saturday, December 19th. Written on the page on the 5th of January, 1999, in original text. Yeah, I know the printed page says it's the 5th of January next year, but it's actually just Friday the 19th. I mean, you never thought I'd live to see the new year, did you? I've been tearing up the pages in between to wipe my tears with, because I've been having pretty depressing thoughts lately. Ugh, I think I'm going insane. I mean, I'm talking to a diary for fuck's sake. I mean, who wouldn't when they're stuck up in a tree, cold, hungry, and alone? I wonder if my family knows that I'm still alive. If this carries on, will someone come to rescue me? Our group leader chose a seriously remote campsite right next to the woods, so I doubt it, but I'll never lose hope. Ugh, the smell of death is everywhere. As I get more accustomed to the fear I'm constantly experiencing, I'm starting to wonder about the origins of these creatures and how they found us. I mean, did anyone know they existed until now? Why didn't they simply attack us on the first day they saw us? I guess everyone has their questions that will never be answered i'm debating whether to plan my next move or not i know waiting probably won't do me any favors and getting off the tree isn't a good idea either i'm surrounded by them everywhere there's no escape but if it's me i might be able to do it i honestly think i stand a chance of getting out of here alive well eventually anyways thinking of climbing a tree was a genius idea I'm glad I thought of it since I'd be dead by now if I hadn't. So, what should I do next? Sunday, January 20th. Last entry, written on the page on the 6th of January, 1999, in original text. Oh my god, holy fuck, they're coming for me. I'm so scared. They're going to get me, I know it. Please, God, please don't let them reach me. I woke up today to see a horde of around ten of those things, each scratching and chewing on the bark of the tree. It seems they've worked out how to climb and they're trying to. Ah fuck, they're weakening the bark of the tree. It looks like it's going to collapse, and I'm going to fall and die. Please, someone needs to read this. Any human being, anyone, you have to find this. These cannibalistic creatures won't just disappear. They're scuttling all around Pennsylvania's forests, eating humans as prey. I believe someone will find this in the future. So here are my last words I know I'm going to die alone and in pain. And I'll be another one of those wasted lives. I'm sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. All the effort you spent on me was in vain just another victim of this terrifying tragedy sorry everyone i have minutes maybe seconds to live i'm really scared their hungry mouths are beckoning towards me their eyes glowing with anticipation ready to tear me apart into shreds i could just feel their long jagged fingers ripping my skin stripping off the flesh between my ribs They broke the branch. It's cracking and slipping and breaking in half. They're getting nearer. I'm about to fall. Mysteriously, no obvious human remains were discovered at the scene of the disappearances. There have been many attempts to locate the creatures described in the entries after it was released to the public, with the creature being named the Spider Cannibal, as used in the context, with all attempts failed. However... Several minuscule spots of dried blood and bodily fluids have been discovered all around the scene, and police are offering a quarter of a million dollars to anyone able to provide trustworthy information in the hunt for the missing bodies at the camp. Chapter 2 Return to Pennsylvania Part 1 It's been exactly three years since I saw my girlfriend Anne with the last time being at the airport in Pennsylvania. I lived in PA for most of my childhood, but decided to pursue my studies abroad first in California, then in the UK. Returning to PA was by no means an easy journey. Taking study leave was a piece of cake. However, my part-time job wasn't enough to fund my ticket fares, so I'd have to work night shifts and extra hours to be able to save up for that single excursion. Moreover, I needed to see Anne desperately. I was afraid our relationship would deteriorate, but I didn't play my part. To me, Anne was the most beautiful girl in the world. We'd known each other since elementary school, and we'd never lost contact until January, the year before last. She said a close friend had gone missing in December after a camping trip, and the authorities were unable to trace her body, leaving my girlfriend absolutely shattered. From then on, her emails were brief and sharp, and we gradually stopped calling or messaging each other altogether. I tried to contact her on her birthday, but even then my efforts were still futile. Though I understood why she was upset, she never even bothered to discuss the incident with me, nor did she rely on me as a source of comfort. It was as if she'd thrown me out of her life. Following this temporary mess in our relationship, I soon considered that I was the one to blame. I was selfish, and only worried about our connection, knowing little to none about the incident she kept referring to. I searched for Pennsylvania news on this, and realized that I'd been much more behind than I thought I was. Two whole years behind, in fact. Since my mother, the only remaining member of my family left alive, died just after I went abroad. I had no close relatives to keep in touch with. However, still, it was hard to believe I'd miss such an incident occurring in my hometown. The online articles describe the disappearances of a group of teenage campers in December 1998. These teenagers were out on an expedition on the outskirts of PA, in a remote area next to a forest dangerously close to mine and Annie's hometown. And as I scrolled further down the page, I felt a bead of sweat crawl down my face and suddenly recognizing some of the names listed on the missing section. Ronald Savage, Becky Westfield, Thomas Picard. These were all people I'd known. I'd even spoken to them many times before. With us being around the same age, I'd been companions to many of those in middle school. Even after a half an hour of gazing at the names intently, I still found it hard to believe they were gone. Thinking of their confused, weeping parents as they sat in front of their television, swallowing the news of the devastation. Knowing their beloved children would never return home. Part of me wanted to simply collapse onto the floor and never get up again. However, the most disturbing part of all was reading the transcripts and excerpts of the diary written by one of the girls on the journey, published with the article. In the entries, she described her daily event followed by a sudden onslaught of terrifying experiences in which she documents the details of creatures she named spider cannibals lurking in the woods right up until her unfortunate death. Her last words chilled me to the bone as i imagined myself in her place desperately trying to crawl away from my inevitable fate i considered these creatures which she labeled as spider cannibals in one of her entries i noticed the term was fairly inaccurate as it implied that the creature was a spider which ate its own species when in fact it was something completely different whatever it was I instinctively found myself feeling concerned for Anne's safety, even though it had been two years since those things were first spotted, and haven't been seen since. It was creepy, even frightening to think about all that evidence which should have been at the scene, like bodies and bones and blood and stuff. None of that was anywhere to be found. After a whole year of roaming around for clues, Police have declared the area safe, even though they couldn't salvage any useful clues within that period of time. The ongoing investigation continued. However, the citizens became much more relaxed and lighthearted about the situation as time wore out the effects of the shock. Another point which came across my mind whilst surfing online was that this had become an extremely controversial and heated topic. If any user on any forum posted a slightly negative comment on the issue, they would be banned immediately and frowned upon by the rest of the community. People often didn't realize when they were crossing the line in this discussion and were punished with sanctions when they did so. In the end, most users simply stopped discussing the topic in fear of offending others. Of course, I felt an amount of sympathy for the families and loved ones affected. However, the level of unnecessary fuss was, well, quite unnecessary. Most people couldn't even ask what had happened without getting labeled as a sick human being with no concern for the feelings of others. Anyway, wondering how Anne was coping with the stress back in PA, I phoned her in October to discuss the matter. Miraculously, she answered the phone invited me to her new apartment. We had a deeply emotional conversation about how we missed each other and how apologetic we were, but I was simply relieved I could hear her voice again. After purchasing my tickets last month, I was finally able to return home. I boarded the flight in the morning, full of anticipation, expecting the slowest plane journey of my life. Part 2 Arriving in the Airport I switched on my phone only to be greeted with a set of phone calls from an unknown number. I soon discovered that Anne had changed her number and address. She told me that she would be picking me up from the local cab station in front of the airport. The feelings of utter joy I experienced were hard to describe. I was going to see my girlfriend again after all the time we'd lost touch, and my expectations were far from low. Half an hour later, Anne appeared behind me, and I was greeted with a cheerful hello. Expecting to see her face I'd been so used to seeing before I left, I was surprised to turn around and feel a sudden but gentle kiss upon my lips. It was a familiar feeling which I adjusted to after a few seconds. Soon, we were both engaged in a passionate kiss. After we broke contact, I noticed Anne's eyes. The sea blue color contrasted well with her bright blonde hair. I touched it gently and watched it flow along with the breeze. Not a thing had changed since I saw her. She was still the most beautiful girl in the world. We both decided it would be suitable to take a cab all the way home, even if it took hours, as the buses were slow due to the excessive amount of snow lining the road surface. As we closed the doors, the immediate warm, soothing effect neutralized the bitter cold we were previously subject to. After time, we found ourselves talking about things we ignored throughout our lives, like the colors of houses. We told each other jokes, and Anne rambled on about her new job and apartment. All the while, I pretended to listen in, however, there was something which didn't seem right about the conversation. After an hour or so, she still hadn't mentioned anything regarding the disappearances of her friend a matter which I thought she felt very strongly about. I had the distinct feeling she was trying to avoid the subject. She would interrupt me during sentences, probably because she suspected I would mention something about it. Then she would stutter, being tongue-tied afterwards. Genuinely sympathizing for her, I wanted to put an end to all of this. I just wanted her to tell me not just why she was so upset, but why she refused to talk about the issue, especially with me. She tried to brush it off with jokes or denial at first, but after asking a few more times, she simply replied, I don't care. This confused me, as I knew that she was fully aware of the situation. Why not? I asked. I heard some campers went missing around your area a few years ago. Was the friend you were talking about related to this? Ann ignored my question and looked out the window. The green field that passed the cab was a familiar sight. I tried to remember where I'd seen the place before. Had I dreamt it somewhere? No. It was definitely the picture I saw online. Of the campsite in which the 1998 disappearances occurred. For no apparent reason, I found myself sweating and my heartbeat began to accelerate. Was this really that place? I couldn't believe it, but it seemed so alike. Anne unfastened her seatbelt. Before I could ask what she was trying to do, she turned to the driver and demanded we stop right where we were and walk home, leaving him with the extra cash. We only have about a half an hour left, she told me. We might as well go for a romantic stroll. You know, that's fine with you. Slightly bewildered, I agreed and stepped out of the cab onto the pavement, walking around the back to open the door and give my girlfriend a hand. She ignored it and stood up out of the cab on her own, leaving me stranded stationary with shame. Each step she took made a soul-shaped dent in the snow, which had built up quite a lot since we had left the airport. "'Well, where should we go?' I asked. "'Are you familiar with this area?' I felt a warm aura surround her as I saw her glistening smile. Yeah, I know this area pretty well. Is there something wrong? No. She took my hand and we walked towards the green plain, now covered in white chunks of snow. Was this a different place to the one i had imagined? Anne seemed to be quite comfortable around the area, which was unusual for someone whose friend disappeared there before. Maybe I'd mistaken it for somewhere else, or maybe it simply looked similar in the snow. It was approaching nine at night. The grassy area lay underneath a fully moonlit, darkened sky, making the trees appear ominous and shadowy. But even though I doubted myself, my instincts told me to be wary of my surroundings. Anne was walking beside me, holding my hand. However, it brought me no comfort. In fact, it actually aroused an awkward sense of suspicion. Hey, Anne. Yes? Is this place... You know, the, the place where those campers disappeared a few years ago? You know, the place you always... Campers disappeared? She replied. I don't think I've heard of that. I paused for a second. Something seemed very wrong. And this time I was able to directly put my finger on what it was. Anne had definitely known what I was trying to talk about. She called me before we lost touch, crying about her friend who happened to be one of the missing victims. Furthermore, she couldn't have forgotten after just two years. Was she just trying to avoid the subject again? Most likely, but I wasn't going to let it slip. We continually ventured hand in hand further down the plain. The road seemed more distant now, and the sound of the cars softened as they disappeared behind the mountains. Sensing a tight atmosphere between us, I kept quiet for about ten minutes, simply pretending to notice the beautiful scenery around us. However, it was dark, and it was unnerving me. I could see the edge of the moon begin to emerge, and I knew it was past nine already. Anne, you know what I'm talking about. You even called me to tell me about your friend, whom you said had been a victim. Don't scare me, Jacob. What are you getting at? I'm not trying to scare you, it's just... You, trying to joke around. I mean, this is serious. How could you simply acknowledge a friend had been missing, cry about her for a while, and then deny you ever knew her? is that even humane now i know you don't want to get into this subject again but you can at least let me understand why you're upset and i sighed furthermore you never even fully told me what had happened i had to go and research it myself after you scared me half to death and broke connection with me for seemingly no reason at all listen we've known each other all of our lives and this is how much you trust me I mean, aren't we friends who are willing to share our feelings with each other? And then when something like this happens, you completely shut me out. Have I ever done anything to betray you? Anne was quiet. She didn't answer as we kept on walking deeper into the forest. It was at that moment, I noticed we weren't walking towards the city like we should have been, but we were walking in the opposite direction straight into the trees. Hey Anne, where are we going? Even I know the city isn't this way. We're going in a completely opposite direction. What's up with you? She was still silent, as I expected. I looked down at her. Her blonde hair looked much messier than before. The moonlight shone upon her fur coat, which was ripped and torn everywhere, almost like rags. How come i hadn't noticed that before she didn't look half as beautiful now as when i first saw her a few hours ago and as my gaze moved down towards her gloves i spotted a thin red mark below her wrist a cup perhaps i pushed her sleeve up her arm but she didn't seem to respond concealed underneath the fabric were several lines of scars some deeper than others I took off my gloves to feel the texture of her arm. The patch of skin around the marks was cracked and sensitive. My feelings of anxiety turned into dread and shock. She'd been cutting her wrists. What's wrong? She asked. You aren't as talkative as before. Cat got your tongue? I jumped. Her voice made my blood run cold. All the warmth had been sucked out of the previously elegant sound. Now. It was as cold as the snow surrounding us. I don't blame you for my misery, but I'm afraid you're simply unlucky to be caught up in all of this. If it weren't for me, you'd be enjoying a content life somewhere else, not having to suffer your fate. A hint of a smile appeared on her face. It both confused me and terrified me at the same time. Her words made no sense yet she seemed to be so sure of what she was saying what do you mean my fate snap out of it for goodness sake just tell me what's going on and I'll try to help you in any way I can you don't have to be nervous even though I directed it towards her I knew I was being hypocritical I was quite sure that I was the only nervous one around sorry but it's too late I'd known her since childhood she's gone you can't help bring her back anyway what could you do to help me Jacob if I tell you what are you going to say you feel sorry for me and then forget about it later to tell you the truth you're nothing more than a stranger to me but I only stick by you because I don't want to hurt your feelings my only friends died here and my family doesn't care about me anymore and we've known each other for years and I know your family cares about you. How could you say that? I don't care about anything, she smirked. Before I could reply, I heard the sound of metal scraping as I suddenly saw my own reflection staring back at me. To my horror, the look on my face was one of complete shock. Then I noticed Anne was holding a large kitchen knife in front of my face, with the blade angled down towards my neck. A bead of sweat trickled slowly down the side of my face as I gulped, staring into my own eyes. Did you know, Jacob, you were right all along? Her light, almost psychotic chuckle made a shiver run down my spine. I'd never heard a human being laugh like that before, and it certainly shocked me unexpectedly. This is the exact area where the disappearances took place. And I'm going to finish you here too, just like the rest of them." What? And suddenly I understood. I'd received the message loud and clear. She was going to kill me. We were in the midst of the forest, deep in the woods. She coaxed me into it. If I died here, my body wouldn't be found in months or even years. Also, how had Anne created that knife out of thin air? She must have had it with her all along were brought it somewhere near the airport i was frozen in terror this was cruel premeditated murder i still didn't understand what was going on however all i could do was fight back since she was of a smaller stature than i was there was a good chance i could defend myself easily without hurting her if i tried but i still couldn't think of any reason why she would want to do something like this however if my girlfriend tried to kill me whatever happened afterwards wasn't my problem i tried to kick and punch at her however my body didn't seem to be responding to my commands i couldn't understand what was going on until i looked down to see the blood my blood dripping down my trousers and staining my clothes suddenly a wave of intense pain hit my neck i yelled but no sound was coming through Falling to my knees, I clutched at the open wound and felt the palms of my hands being met with a constant flow of crimson liquid. Anne bent down and grabbed my hair, preparing to finish me off at the serrated edge of the menacing looking knife. I finally realized that this wasn't the Anne I knew before. Her tragic experiences had made her an insane monster. I finally realized that the scars she acquired from the death of her friend were too much to bear, and they'd sucked the soul out of her body. The psychotic sparkle in her eyes was the clear mark of a madman. The real Anne was long gone two years ago. I saw through the move and lunged sideways, narrowly avoiding her attack. The knife lodged into a tree, and she struggled to pull it out. The pain in my neck was tearing into my shoulder blades. However, I made an effort to ignore it as I crawled, slowly making my way off the floor, and chased after me, knowing I was soon dead meat. I still ran as fast as I could, choking to death on my own blood. Part 3 Her footsteps made crunching noises in the snow as she approached me, struggling to balance. I tried to focus on holding my neck together as well as my escape. Then, the crunching noises were followed by a loud thud as they stopped abruptly, turning around briefly to take a glance. It was clear she had fallen after tripping over a branch. A confused expression crossed her face as she tried to lift herself up again, but kept on sliding back down to the ground. It was a while before I noticed that her left boot was embedded in the ground up to her ankle surrounded by a small pile of what looked like yellow powder, similar in appearance to an anthill. I could make out several small dots on her leg as she tried to pull it out of the ground. Her ankle was now completely surrounded by the strange grainy mound and became less visible in the moonlight. As I noticed the small dots on her pants leg begin to move, I heard her scream. They began to look like a column of small bugs, And as I edged closer, I could tell they were spider-like creatures, which used their long and stringy legs to scuttle around. They appeared from the mound in large groups, crawling up her leg and into her coat as she desperately tried to yank her foot from the heap. Soon, she fell to the ground and her screaming stopped as her body was covered in these creatures. Her body began to convulse as she moaned, writhing to and fro. Afterwards, I almost fell over again, as I saw one of her arms dislocate outwards with a sickening pop. Her hair began to fall out rapidly, and I could make out a pinkish tone within her skin as her flesh dissolved and shrank into her bones. Another arm, followed by a leg, twisted away from her body as her eyes began to jut out of her skull from the effect of her tightening facial skin. As I pieced each aspect together in my mind... I recognized the image I was seeing. It was the same image in my head as I read the diary entry of the missing girl, as she was describing the creature she had seen. My girlfriend's once beautiful body had turned into this grotesque humanoid creature. Whatever those spiders were, they must have contained some sort of venom bile which affected an area of the brain. Either that, or they simply entered the brain themselves. Gradually digesting my thoughts, my mind turned to the girl's diary entry I read, not that long ago. She was in a similar situation to myself, standing a few feet from a potentially lethal spider cannibal. What had she decided to do? She had decided to climb up a tree. I was in a totally unfit state to do that, so I kept thinking of different possibilities of escape, edging my feet away. I noticed that some of the tiny spider-like creatures had crawled over closer to me and had started to crawl up my leg. There was no time to waste. I stumbled forwards as fast as I could, heading for the city on the other side of the forest. The halo of light from the city shone, suggesting I was close to safety. Then out of the blue, I felt an immensely powerful burn upon my legs. It was so irritating and painful that I felt the need to scratch the feeling off. But I forced them to continue carrying the burden of my weight. I knew the pain I felt had to be the result of the spiders injecting the venom into my veins. I had to keep on going. I'd only been bitten a few times and if I stopped, I would be enveloped in them and all the venom would turn me into one of those things. If I made my way back to the city, surely there would be someone in their house. Of course, the area was so remote that the chance of someone actually being there for me would be slim, but I had to get there first to have any chance of surviving until tomorrow. It seemed so far away. Looking behind my shoulder momentarily, I saw my girlfriend's body twitch and writhe as her flesh continued to dissolve. Her hideous form lifted itself upright and started to crawl on all fours uncomfortably adjusting to the new change in position. Sniffing the air, her eyes turned to meet mine, and that's when I started to panic. Racing down the frozen path, I clutched my neck tightly as I dodged trees and jumped over branches, pursued by the most terrifying sight I'd ever seen. I guess my haste simply got the better of me in the end as I read head-on into a river. The strange thing was... I hadn't even tripped over anything. I'd just fallen in from my carelessness. I swam to the top of the water to gasp for air and clung on to the edge of the banks, and a finger passed the bloody dent on my neck. The wound was deep, however, not as deep as it first felt. Also, I was glad it was beginning to scab over. Turning my head to inspect my surroundings, I noticed the spiders were gone. So was my girlfriend's. Spider cannibal form. A foul stench began to rise in the water, and when I turned my head in the direction of the smell, I made out a body floating in the water's surface as a sizzling sound could be heard. It was enough to send me springing onto the banks and out of the river, looking back to face the body. I could tell its limbs were still flailing. However, its motion slowly stopped into complete stillness. It was a close call. As luck would have it, my clumsiness saved my life this time, or at least prolonged it for a while. But I knew who and what it was instantly after looking at it. Her skin reacted violently with the water and caused a temperature rise, stripping her of the muscle and tendons underneath. Her corpse was no more. A minute later, I felt a tear run down my face. Seeing the spiders scuttle across the twisted arm of the corpse which lay on the bank acting as a bridge, I quickly turned to escape. As I dashed for the city, I couldn't help but think of how I'd finally lost everyone I'd ever loved, even though I should have known my girlfriend was gone years ago. My family was dead. Many of my friends had gone missing and more were probably dead. And now my girlfriend, Anne, had been taken away from me. The final victim of the unfortunate death streak I seemed to carry around. I thought about that kiss Anne had given me at the airport. It felt so passionate, so real. Yet it was simply a distraction to try and take my attention away from the scars she wanted so desperately to hide. And that premeditated murder wasn't her fault at all. An insane psychopath had taken over her body since she died inside from the grief. And it was my fault for not being there to support her. And even if I survived all of this, how could I live with myself knowing I took part in causing my girlfriend's death? And then what would I do with my remaining 70 or so lonely years of life afterwards? The burn in my legs returned and I understood what had happened. Even though the spiders were far behind, the venom they injected into my legs had remained, and would soon take effect, turning me into one of those spider cannibals. I too would soon be gone, whether I wanted it or not. Millions of tiny bugs had crawled onto Anne's body lying in the water, and had started to eat away at the remaining flesh and bone. Then a thought hit me. The disappearances in 1998. The spiders must have first bitten several of the campers, causing them to contact the infection and turn into the creatures, killing off other humans to provide carcasses for the spiders. After this, the remaining venom in their bodies would slowly kill them off, and the spiders would devour every dead thing in sight. Now, assuming my theory was correct, These spiders must have been a very well adapted species, which only appeared underground in a certain area of this forest in cold conditions. The teenagers hadn't disappeared. Their remains had simply been eaten by these tiny malicious insects. If only my phone hadn't gotten wet and had battery left, then I might have been able to call the police. Cursing my misfortune, I turned around and ventured on with all my strength, weeping out loud. And after all, I could do little else. Part 4 I made it into the empty town, where I collapsed on the ground and became unconscious. Sadly, it turned out that the town was in fact quite deserted as I expected, and not a single soul laid eyes on my presence during the night. In the morning... I found myself lying on the grass. My head felt dizzy from the blood loss, but I was glad I made it and had not perished the previous night. It was then that I noticed my arms had bent slightly outwards. My heart started to race. I tried to pull them back in to feel the wound on my neck, but they simply wouldn't bend that way. My legs were still fine, but the skin looked slightly pink and raw. I recognized several strands of my brown, medium-length hair piled on the floor, and my hips had sunken inwards, creating a cavity where my stomach should have been. The venom was overtaking me slowly. The poison was taking effect. To my delight, I kept surprisingly calm after a while. Since there were no spiders to dispose of my body, what would happen to me? Would I wander into the town and get shot, or would I simply die of the venom poisoning? I hope that maybe one day a scientist would find my body and use it for research to save other lives instead of leaving me here to rot. So, at the moment, I'm still feeling generally relaxed, but I can't deny that I'm quite anxious. Will death hurt, or will God take it easy on an innocent bloke like me? Even if I stay alive, I have nothing to live for. I have no family or friends, no career ahead of me. I will never date another woman again. I will never have children. I will never do anything productive. I'd rather die than become a waste of space. On our first date, I remember Anne once asked me, Hey Jacob, if you only had one single day to live, What would you do with it? Um, I don't know. You know, probably tell my family I love them, I guess, or try to meet somebody famous, I responded. I wish I'd sounded a bit more serious, since I can't do either of those things now. I'm simply nobody, and I will die nobody. I wish I knew that earlier on, then I would have simply committed suicide instead of suffering this long. On another note, a man just walked by. How exciting...